Hey, uh, in your Bible, we're going to be in we're going to be in First Kings eighteen a long time. But I want you to go to James first. We we kind of picked up where I left off there last week. We looked at James four eight. I want you to go there because there's a there's an interesting word that he ends James four eight with. And if you're like me, maybe you're not like me. When I read that, I went, I wonder why he said that. It just didn't fit. Now, we know the book of James is written to whom? He's written to believers, to Christians, okay? So if we know that it's written to Christians, why in the world would he make a phrase or say a phrase like this? I want you to listen to James 4, 8. It says, come near to God. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Very interesting. He's writing to believers. Why in the world, if you're writing to believers who believe, who should be single-minded, would he even utter a word like double-minded? You know, does that strike anybody interested? besides mine, it's like, hmm, you would think he's God and he knows us. You would think he would know us by writing that. Because I wonder, is there a danger for the believer to at times become double-minded? Now, let me help you with double-minded. Go to Kings. 1 Kings 18, you're going to see another experience of double-minded. 1 Kings 18, there is, if I were to tell you there was a lot in this, there is a lot in this, and that would be the understatement of the year, okay? There was a bunch in here, and I could stay here a long time, but, but I'm not going to do that to you. I want you to understand the uh, encounter that takes place here, kind of set it up a little bit. This all happens on Mount Carmel. Okay, and this is Elijah, and Ahab has been summoned to go tell or go get Elijah. They see Elijah as a troublemaker in Israel or to the people of Israel. Okay, and I want you to look at verse 18 of 1 Kings 18. I have not made trouble for you, Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's home or you and your father's families have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed Baal's. Abandoned means to what? Leave, quit, run out, give up. Okay? So here he is. They followed what? The Lord at one time and his commands. But they have jumped ship and now follow Baal. Okay? And so Elijah is ticked off. Because he sees himself as the only one left that believes that God is God. And he simply says, here's the deal. I want you to go get all of the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. Okay? And I want you to go get the 400 prophets that sit at Jezebel's table. That's a terrible thing to call somebody that you sit at Jezebel's table. Okay? You go get them. Okay? And, and, and Elijah is about to summons the people of Israel to Mount Carmel, okay? 
and he is about to come. Basically, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be Baal against God. That's what you're fixing to see, okay? Now, these people are in kings double-minded. They have jumped ship from the one true God and have went to to worship Baal and man-made idols because they gave up, quit on God. And Elijah doesn't like it. Now, I want you to see in 1 Kings 18, I want you to see something, 1 Kings 18. Go to verse, oh, let's go to 21. So he summons them to this mountain. And then I want you to see what Elijah does. And he asks, I think, oh, well, it, it would be a tie between this question and Nicodemus' question in John 3 as the best questions in the Bible. I want you to listen to this question. Elijah in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? <laughs> oh, I love to see their faces. Right? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Can you, can you imagine that scene? I mean, you've got, you got all the people of Israel, but you've got the 450 prophets, okay? And then you've got, you, you got Baal's prophets, then you've got 400 that sit at Jezebel's table. If anybody ever calls you a Jezebel, that's not a compliment, Okay? Just trust me, all right? And so here you got it. And Elijah stands up and says, how long will you waver between two opinions? I'm going to tell you something. He's asking the New Testament church today that question every Sunday. Every Sunday he asks the church that. How long are you going to waver? I am, am, am I really that God that you say I am or am I not? But when he asks the church, he asks who? He's asking Jeff. He's asking you. Because every single day, my friends, we make that choice. We make that choice. You say, well, I've never really thought about that choice. I mean, I've never even been asked that question, so I really haven't answered that, Jeff. So you can say you have, but you can't pin that on me. I haven't done that. Oh, yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. When you get up in the morning, you make that choice. Whom you will serve, what Joshua said. Choose, man. You choose today. You choose. Every day we get up, we make a choice on who truly is God. And the things we say, the places we go, and what we believe and how we live answers that question, not our words. Not our words. We can sing some incredible, powerful songs in this church. There's some incredible, powerful worship songs. But as a worship song says it best, it is, I want to bring you more than a song. I want to bring you more than a song. You see, my friends, we can no longer as believers waver. You can't waver, man. You can't waver. Either he is, he is God or he's not God. Friends, I'm going to tell you, you can't be kind of dead. I mean, nobody's ever said, you know, I don't know if I'm pronouncing dead because he's kind of dead, he's kind of not dead. I mean, it's like being kind of pregnant. You, you just can't be kind of pregnant, all right? You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either dead or you're not dead. You either believe he is God or you don't. And your life will give footprint to that. I'm telling you. And you say, well, I don't know if my life always says that. Then quit wavering between two opinions, man. Jesus said you either be lukewarm, 
You either be for me or against me. Don't be lukewarm. I'll throw up. I don't need that. Let me tell you, this world's swimming with lukewarm. And it is confusing everybody. Very confusing. Very confusing. How long will you waver, my friend? How long will you waver? How long will your faith waver? God may be calling you right now to make a huge step of faith. Huge step of faith. And some of you are saying, well, my step of faith is not huge, but it feels huge. Let me tell you, any step of faith is huge. If, 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 you know, I've said many times that faith is stepping where there's no step. You say, man, it'd be a whole lot easier if God made that step pop up and let me just see it just for a little bit so I'd know it's there. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be faith if he did that. Stepping on a step is faith. But if you don't know that faith is there, man, I'm going to tell you that's a huge step. It doesn't take much for me to step on another faith, another step. But if that step's not there and God says step, I'm a little scared. But see, what God does is as soon as we take that step, he supernaturally creates that step. And we don't see it until our foot's coming down. And then we're like this. We step and our foot lands and we go, I, I knew, I knew that. I, I, I knew all the time he was God. He would do that. Oh, come on, you did not. You'd have stepped a long time ago. You wouldn't have been shaking when you stepped. Confidently stepping where there's no step. Don't waver any longer. He is God or he's not God. I want to keep going. There's a lot of stuff in Kings and I'll never get to all of it. I want to jump down to verse uh, 24. So what happens between 18 and 24, or verse 21 and 24 is simply this. He tells them to go get a bull, okay, cut it up, and, and, and they're going to call on their God, and, and Elijah's going to call on his God, and then, and then we're going to see what happens when he burns them up, okay? All right? but, but I want you to see what he does here in verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. That's bold, boy. That's seriously bold. You, you, you call on your God, I'll call on my God, and the one who answers by fire, he's God. Let me tell you what's going on here. If you have your own Bible, you simply write in the margin, agree with God. Oh, man, I'm telling you, there's power when you agree with God. Now, you ever noticed when we get done praying, we always say, amen. Why do you say that? Well, my mama said it. Well, my grandmama told me that's how you finish the prayer, all right? What you're doing is amen says I agree with God. That's why when, when you hear some worship going or some preaching going that's good and somebody in the audience says amen, what are they doing? They're agreeing by spirit with God. They're agreeing with God. I want you to turn in your Bible to Matthew 18. Go there with me real fast. Matthew 18. Go to verse uh, 18. Matthew 18, 18. I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed 
in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more beautiful than absolutely laying hands on people that are going through a tough time or a trial, and people begin to pray over them, and you just in a conversation of prayer and intercession of prayer just begin to all agree together. And while that buddy next to me is praying, I'm amen in his stuff. What I agree with, what the Spirit says, mm-hmm, I'm agreeing with that. Mm-hmm, I'm agreeing. Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord. And I'm going to tell you, there's power in that, my friends. Let me tell you, there is power for believers when they agree with God. Okay, you say, well, God, God doesn't need me to agree with him. What? God does not need me to agree with him. He is God, and God do whatever he wants to do. He don't need me to agree with him, right? Right. But you need to agree with God. I'm going to tell you, there's something to be said when you're praying over a loved one. God, I want them to be healed. I want them to live forever. Don't let them die. Don't let them die. Man, they're, they're gone. They're gone. You know what happens to the person that can't agree with God there? Bitterness seeps in just like that. Mad. Why well, I asked in God's name and they died. Where's that God? What about just God, we trust you. She, that, that, that loved one is yours first or second. And if you choose, Father, to take them, we're good with that. We agree with you that you're God. We trust you. And when that loved one passes on, because you agree with God and your spirit agrees with the Father, you're okay with that. Now, you miss them, you're hurt, you're disappointed, and it brings a lot of loss, man, and sorrow. But I'm going to tell you, it's a lot different in that situation than it is, God, you're a bad God. You're mean. You did me wrong, okay? That'll suck the wind out of you. Agreeing with God, my friends, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And there's power when you agree with God. And what he does here is they simply, he's simply agreeing with God. And powerful things happen when you agree with God. I want you to go back to 1 Kings because i got a row. There's a bunch in there. Uh, look at verse 3. I mean, I look at number 3. Go all the way down to verse 30. Now, in the middle of all this, this is the good part in the middle of this. This is when they're calling on their God, and he's not answering. Elijah's like, well, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he just went for a long lunch, or he got preoccupied and all this other stuff. And then it gets to be about noon, and they're still ranting and raving and jumping and dancing around this fire. And they start cutting themselves, and they start bleeding. They're still waiting for Baal to come and do this thing. And Baal's like, he ain't nowhere. He ain't nowhere. And they keep it up, and they keep it up, and they keep it up. And finally, Elijah's like, oh, my God, I'm about to throw up here. Well, y'all stop. Y'all stop. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what you do. Can I just help you with something? The reason you're not getting an answer is because he's dead. He's dead. Your God is dead. And dead people don't speak. They don't do stuff. Now, let me call on my God who is alive. And watch him do his thing. And this is what he does here. He says, and look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him and he said, repair the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. 
repair the altar of the Lord which is in ruins. Now I want you to go to Romans. I want you to go to Romans. And here's what I want you to understand here. The altar of the Lord was absolutely destroyed here by all their ranting and raving, all this goofy stuff they were doing. And he says, repair the altar of the Lord. Now watch what he says in Romans. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Friends, let me say something to you. We are living sacrifices unto the Lord. Living sacrifices unto the Lord. Sometimes, my friends, we need, <laughs> we need to repair the altar of the Lord and then we need to climb up on it. And say, God, I want you to, I want you to make me new. I want you to do in me what you need to do because I am an absolute mess. I agree with you. I agree with you. I am that. And I've been in denial for years. I am double-minded. Because sometimes I'm thinking you're the God of gods and you're the king of kings. And then sometimes, man, I speak curse on myself. And I, 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 I punch myself in the gut. God, you need to repair me. Repair me. I'm the living sacrifice unto you. Repair me. Repair the altar of the Lord. Repair me. I'm going to get up on it. Okay, I want you to do that work in me. How many of us this morning would simply say, honestly, <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess, and I need to be renewed. And that's what he's saying here in, 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 in Kings. He simply says before he ever gets started, man, before he ever does a work here, you, report, you repair that altar, and I'm gonna, I, I, you repair the altar. We are living sacrifices under the Lord, living sacrifices under the Lord. What? Let me ask you this. When you look at your life, I mean, honestly take a deep, hard look at your life. What do you, as the living sacrifice to the Lord, know that he needs to work? What area does he need to go to work in? What does he need to do in you? Man, there's times we got to come to the altar. This altar right here is always open. Sometimes it, it helps us to come out of our seats, out of our comfort zones, and get a little uncomfortable and walk down and kneel down and confess some stuff and get made right. What are you as a living sacrifice on the Lord need to do today? I want to keep going because there's so much to get to. Look at the fourth point. Go back over, turn, turn your page if you, mine's on the next page, yours may not be, but look at 1 Kings 18.33. I want you to see a couple things here. As he gets all this altar ready, and Elijah makes some incredible statements here. He wants you to get the wood, get the bull, cut it up. But he digs this big old trench all the way around this thing. Now, I want you to understand something. These people during this time are in a drought. And here's what's interesting about Baal. Baal is called the god of rain. Oh, boy. You would think that something would just click. I mean, I, I would, but... But I don't know. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. But, but I'm telling you, he's the God of, of, of rain. 
and they're in the middle of this drought. And so this is what Elijah does. He says, I want you to prepare the altar. I want you to get the the wood. I want you to get the bull, and, and I'm dig a big old trench, and I want you to dig it real deep all the way around this thing. And then I want you to go get four jars of water, and I want you to pour it all in the trench. Then I want you to go do it again, and then I want you to go do it again. And so if you have a math class, if you had four jars and you did it three times, they did what? Twelve jars of water. So they filled it up. They fill it up. And I want you to see what he does here. Go to verse, uh, go to 33. This is, it. this is where he picks up. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now, here's what I want you to ask yourself. You got this time where it's a drought. You got this time where these people have built this altar, did the bull thing, did all this chanting, nothing happened, and Elijah steps up. Now, I want you to understand there's still this opinion, this waiver going on. Some of these folks are, are like, it's all about Baal, and some, ha- they, they don't know. They used to believe that he was God. And then Elijah does all this stuff, and then he pours it on the offering. Folks, let me say something to you. There is times in all of our lives, myself included, that the reason God can't do it is not because we don't believe he can't. We believe he can, but we hold on to it. What are you holding on to? You need to let go of. You see, God can, but you got to let go. You got to let go. And I see so many believers that I truly believe, believe God can do that, but they won't let go. They just won't let go, man. They won't let go and make the offering. And then watch what God does. They won't let go. They hold on, they hold on, they hold on, they hold on. What does God need to do in your marriage? You've tried. Just let go. What does God need to do in your family? You've tried there. Just let go. What does God need to do in your kids' lives? Just let go. What about your business? What about your job? What about everything? What, any other area you want to talk about? What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? Because, my friends, when you let go of it, you absolutely commit it to him, then what? Then God takes over, and he does his thing. And what does he do? More than we could ever think or imagine, man. Ever think or imagine. Is it scary to let go? Oh, you bet it is. You know why? Because in our minds, we always think we could do it better. That we could do it. My friends, you got to let go got to let go. I'm going to tell you, there's some people in here that have been holding stuff, and they've been wanting God to do some things in this area, but God hadn't done it yet, but they still believe that, but they're getting worried because God still hadn't done it, and the reason I believe he hadn't done it is you fully hadn't given it to him. Don't waver anymore. He either is God or he's not God. That's just it. Either you believe he can or you believe he can't. You would never introduce yourself and say, hi, I'm Jeff. I don't believe God can. You would never introduce yourself that way. But let me tell you, when you believe that inside, 
it's almost like introducing yourself again. And it's sad. I want to keep going. There's a bunch there. I'm going to read a little bit of this as we go on because I don't want to mess any of this up. Look at verse 34. This is where he does it again. He says, do it again, he says, and they did it again. And then do it a third time, he ordered them, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down all over the altar and even filled the trenches. And at the time of sacrifice, I want you to see what he does. The prophet Elijah steps forward, and what does he do? He prayed. And I want you to listen to his prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done all that you have commanded. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. And here's why he wants the answer, okay? So that these people will know that you, that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to them. Now, listen to that prayer. Is anywhere in that prayer selfish? None. What is it about? Is it about Elijah? Oh, God, here's what I want you to do this for because, man, I'm like the pastor, and these people, they don't believe I can lead them. And, God, I, I mean, I need you to do this so they'll, so they'll believe me, so they'll think I'm worthy, so they'll look at me and say, "Woo, he's awesome. No, didn't say any of that. God, I want you to do this. So their eyes might be open to who you really are. That's why I want you to do it. How many times have we really prayed like that? How many times have you prayed like that? God, I want you to do this because I want the people that know this person and watch this person to walk in amazement of what you do and did in their life. Man. God, I want you to do this in the church not so we can toot our horns as a church, but people will look at this church and say, wow, look what God did. And let them stand in amazement of what God did. Why is your testimony the greatest testimony, the second greatest testimony ever given? Is it because you were once blind, but now you see. You were once without, and now you have. Heaven's your home. You have a purpose and a meaning in life. Is that your testimony? It's your story, but it's really his testimony because he did that on the cross for you. Make much of him. You lift him up, and he'll draw all men and women, boys and girls unto him. I want you to, keep, I want you to follow this as he goes. He prays his prayer, and then look at verse 38. And then the fire of the Lord fell. Uh, that would have been a sight to see. And burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stone and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. Can I help you with something? God's not going to just do what you pray. He's just going to go a little bit more. So you'll go, oh, man, that was awesome. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even pray that. I didn't even think you could do that. But that's cool, God. You ever done that? I mean, I am totally blown away with this place as a church. Because Melissa and I came here, and, 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 and Kyle Grigsby can confess, and I'm glad he didn't call me on this. He said, we want you to come be our pastor. We're not real sure we have the money to pay you, okay? Because I understand there wasn't about 21, 24 people here, okay? And he says, but we believe that you're God's man. Now, this ain't about me. 
And I said to Kyle, man, I'm telling you, I'd come for a dollar. Now, I'm glad he didn't say, well, whew, I'm glad. We can't get that in writing. Okay. Hey, here's some great news. Jeff's going to come, and he says, all I got to do is give him a dollar. I thank you, Kyle, for not doing that. But, but here's the deal. When I think back about this place, I see this story. I just see it, man. I just see it. The altar was in ruins, man. And not that the people before us was praying to a bad God like Baal. That's not what happened. This church was struggling and was hurting, but it was in a ripe, ripe area. And they took a huge step of faith to call me as a pastor. Huge. We were a church start with two buildings, basically. And we just began to do church. And we, we made much of God and lifted him up that he might draw all men and women, boys and girls, to him. Not for us to pound our chest and say, look at us. But for people to say, wow, look what God's still doing in the church. Look what God does. Look what God's doing. And I'm going to tell you, it is amazing the stories that have come. It's amazing what God has done. I want to finish this because it's beautiful. So he does even bigger than we even pray. And then watch this in verse 39. When all the people saw this, they they fell prostrate. And cried. Listen what they cried. In big capital letters, the Lord is, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Can you, I mean, you got to help me with this picture. Mount Carmel, all the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. All the prophets that sit at Jezebel's table. All those who've abandoned the Lord, okay, went a different way, got double-minded, didn't believe he could anymore. They've been cutting their wrists and chanting and panting and jumping, acting like an idiot for a dead God to speak. Dead people don't speak, man. All gods are dead. They all bow at the foot of our king, all of them. And Elijah stands up, agrees with God, rebuilds that altar, and prays fire fell and did it all man and the people just think about the people who fell prostrate they were all prophets of a dead god and they cried out the lord he is god the lord he is god now they write that two times but can i tell you something they probably still chanting that today because when he does that i'm going to tell you I mean, you ever been at those football games where you just won a football game and it was an incredible football game and they start to turn the lights off and they turn the scoreboard off and you just don't want to leave. You don't want to leave because that was incredible. This trumps that a thousand times. This was incredible. And I wonder sometimes when I read the part where it says that they fell prostrate and cried, he is God. What's it take for us to fall prostrate and cry? The Lord, he is God. It's sometimes harder for us to do that in our American pride than it is for a prophet of Baal. I wonder if they would have fallen quicker than we would fall. 
Friends, let me say something to you about this story. Double-minded can sneak in. Okay? It's written in James to believers. Why? Because God knows us best. These people that were summoned to Mount Carmel had wavered between two opinions, and many of them had went with Baal. My friends, if you're tempted to waver, please don't. Either claim your turf that he is God and live like he's God. And some of you in here, myself included, need to learn a little bit from Elijah on how to pray. I'm going to tell you, when Elijah prayed, he stepped up in power. He believed his prayer. He believed every word he uttered. And I wonder sometimes, do we truly believe that God can, even when we're praying? It's almost like we're praying and we're talking ourselves out of it the longer we talk. Man, may we never pray double-minded. May we never pray and worship wavering. May we know who we are and whose we are. And may we, as believers, claim that Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. May you claim that in your life as well. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you so much for our time together. And God, as we move to a time of invitation, Father, I just pray, Father, that we can look at this story of Elijah. It's not a neat story in the Bible, though it's neat. God, it's a true story in the Bible. Father, it's a story that has to happen and does happen on a daily basis. God, we have to claim the turf that you are Lord. God, in our hearts, if we're wavering, if we become double-minded, I pray, Father, that you and you alone that would break us of that. God, give us the confidence that Elijah had. Give us the boldness that Elijah had. And Father, help us to pray and obey just like Elijah did. He didn't doubt. He didn't waver. He didn't act like a wet pretzel. He knew who he was and who his God was. And he prayed with boldness and you moved. God, may we agree with God on things. May we let go and let you do it. And then say, the Lord, he is God. Father, I pray you stir the church deep today, Father. I pray you stir us deep inside. Father, I pray that you would help anyone in this crowd that has a spirit of unbelief. God, help us if we're sitting here and say, God can't do that. Oh, God can do that. He can do it in you. God, I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray for anyone sitting in this audience that knows they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would move them this morning. That they would give their lives to Christ. They would open up their hearts and invite you to come in and save them, make them new. Father, I pray for the family of families here this morning that have been looking for a church home. And God, you've led them here. And they know that. And they feel very much at home here. I pray, Father, that they will make that official this morning and come and join and be a part of First Baptist Church in Bristol. God, I pray that you will teach us that the altar is open here, that we can come and lay it down before you and let go. And so, Father, move us now. 
be glorified and honored in our invitation. Make us obedient, Father, so that we might be blessed. In Jesus' name.